My week-long coverage of the Twin Peaks pilot is going to take a little diversion here. We're going to start by talking about uh, the episode itself, when it aired on TV, what was around it, and go further and further afield to movies, to the news, what was going on that particular day, what was on the newsstands magazine cover with Time Magazine. We're going to use these as focal points going forward every week, about midweek, we're going to pause and look at the larger historical context for that particular episode of Twin Peaks. And these sections get longer and longer as I go along. So this one starts off kind of short. It's the shortest of any of these mini episodes this week, but uh, it will expand as, as time goes on because there's just so much to dig into in this period in the early 90s uh, where Twin Peaks really connected with the zeitgeist for a moment. Uh, before they parted ways again. The pilot premiered not just as the kickoff to a TV show, but as a Sunday night movie of the week, the more prestigious version of the Monday movie of the week, which is actually how the series would end up on that end of the <laughs> end of the movie of the week spectrum, which was not good. But on April 8th, after the strong ad campaign that pushed Who Killed Laura Palmer as the main hook, it became one of the top TV rated uh, top rated TV movies of the year. In fact, it was number one for the 1989-90 to 90 season with a 21.7 rating and 34.6 million viewers with a 33 share. Now, what do those numbers mean? I'm going to give a quick rundown for that. Basically, uh, the estimates, so a rating is 1% of all possible TV households in the U.S. And a share is 1% of all the TV households actually watching TV. So about a third of the, the stations tuned in at that time were watching Twin Peaks. And almost a quarter of all TV sets that were, you know, in existence were also tuned into Twin Peaks. So think about that for a minute. You know, these are not numbers we see anymore. 34.6 million viewers for a TV pilot is, for really any TV show, is massive now. A big hit like Game of Thrones, I believe, has closer to half that number. Um, granted, that's on HBO, not network TV, but at this time there weren't as many options and the eyes of the nation were on Twin Peaks at this time. Whatever it would become later, Twin Peaks was at this moment a true cultural phenomenon. And that's amazing to consider given uh, you know, David Lynch's career. He's never had a hit like that elsewhere. Uh, the most profitable, not most profitable, the highest earning movie he ever made was Dune. It made about $40 million at the box office. And that, as I said, was considered a huge flop because of its budget was so big. And considering ticket prices, that's a lot less than 33 million people seeing it. So this was this was a big a big deal. Uh, now, of course, these numbers are estimates. They're based on Nielsen households usually where like uh, the Nielsen company would send uh, surveys to selected viewers who are supposed to be demographically representative of the U.S. population, and they would fill out a little card or a journal or maybe put a device on their TV and talk about how much they watched a uh, you know during that period that they were grading it. Now, coincidentally, John Thorne, who would later publish Wrapped in Plastic, he was a Nielsen viewer at this time, so I have to wonder if he inflated those numbers a little bit because it's hard to think of anybody who would be capable of you know, misrepresenting how much people were watching Twin Peaks more than him because it wasn't just about if you watched that episode. If you recorded it and watched it again, you were supposed to write that down as well, and he was watching it on VHS tape over and over, taking notes on it. He was so thrilled with this, so that's kind of a funny tidbit. The pilot aired following a repeat of Life Goes On at 7 and then two new episodes of America's Funniest Home Videos. There's a YouTube, there were, there's a teaser that's on YouTube that kind of has these three together, and it's just interesting to consider Twin Peaks in that context. 
I think a lot of people listening to this will have discovered it on Netflix in the 2010s. You don't really think of it running with like, you know, toothpaste commercials in between or with like a Bob Saget showing some, you know, kid in a pratfall with a time code printed on a home video screen coming right before. And uh, America's Funniest Home Videos had about an equal rating and share, but higher overall viewers than Twin Peaks did. And uh, so, you know, even in that context, even though it was such a hit as a TV movie, it's still, you know, a, a, an average episode of, of the Funniest Home Videos was at least as popular, maybe more. It was up against on the other networks, uh, second half of a new Murder, She Wrote episode and the CBS Sunday Movie of the Week at... Uh, on CBS. The movie, by the way, was Crossing to Freedom, which is about an English lawyer saving seven uh, presumably French children from Nazis. It stars Peter O'Toole. On Fox, the competition was Married with Children and a new episode of Open House, which is a sitcom, and a new episode of Booker, which was a spinoff of 21 Jump Street, the cop show. NBC aired the sixth airing, like ever. You know, this was a time when they long times would go by between the airings of films or miniseries of part one of Jesus of Nazareth, a miniseries from 1977 commissioned by Lou Grade for ITV after a discussion with the Pope. It was actually kind of encouraged by the Pope at that time, who also handpicked Franco Zeffirelli, the director who had made uh, the Romeo and Juliet in the sixties and the uh, St. Francis musical. I can't remember what it's called right now. And uh, interestingly enough, Monty Python ended up using the Jesus of Nazareth sets to shoot Life Life of Brian after the film was completed. The film stars Robert Powell as Jesus and has quite a supporting cast. Anne Bancroft, James Earl Jones, James Mason, Lawrence Olivier, Donald Pleasance, Christopher Plummer, Anthony Quinn, Rod Steiger, Peter Ustinov, Michael York, Ernest Borgnine, Claudia Cardinale, Fernando Ray, Ralph Richardson, and Olivia Hussey. So, yeah, that was uh, quite a thing to see on the, you know, if you think Twin Peaks had uh, some prestigious actors in it, that was the competition on the other station. But it had been on several times, and it didn't get nearly the ratings. I think about half of what Twin Peaks got. So Twin Peaks did dominate its its time slot. This may be the last time that would ever happen, though, especially because they were going to put it on against some of the biggest competition on TV. Uh, it was not to be a Sunday show. The Sunday was just for the, the pilot episode. Meanwhile, uh, Elsewhere in the culture and in society, the number one film at the box office in April 8th, 1990, was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, for the second week in a row. And in the world, Time Magazine was running a cover story on Richard Nixon. The tagline is, in an emotional memoir, he describes the agony of his exile and his struggle for renewal. So, you know, if you think that rehabilitating horrible Republican presidents is a new phenomenon, I've got news for you. The big story of that day was a Norwegian ship, the Scandinavian Star, which uh, was destroyed in a fu- or almost destroyed in a fire, and uh, a lot of people died, 158 passengers. So it was a big tragedy, a third of all the passengers on the ship. And they later decided that it was an intentional fire uh, that was created by some members of the crew as an as a insurance fraud because the ship was insured for much more than was actually on it. And uh, a, a 2006 memorial was installed in Oslo. So it's something that's sort of stuck with that society. And of course, it's interesting. It's Norwegian because Norwegians play a big part in the pilot. In Greece, the center-right New Democracy Party uh, won enough seats to form its own government, pushing neoliberal reforms following the collapse of communism. That's kind of the big context of this time. Uh, April 1990, the Berlin Wall had fallen just five or six months earlier, and uh, the USSR would be 
uh, gone as an entity within a year and a half. So this is like a sort of a whole new global context is emerging at this time. And you can see that a lot in the culture uh, shows like The Simpsons, Married with Children, Roseanne, pushing the envelope of what's acceptable on TV and kind of creating this new exciting dynamic. And Twin Peaks was at the forefront of that. One of the big reasons it was such a cultural phenomenon was that even after ratings slipped a little bit, critics were enamored of this idea of like a new adventurous tone in television. I really do feel like that had a lot to do not just with the desire for something new in TV, but this whole zeitgeist of like a fresh new spirit of the, of the, you know, in the air at this time. On this exact day, uh, two people, two celebrities, I guess, died of AIDS. One of them was Jose de Vega, who played Chino in West Side Story. The other was very prominent, one of the most famous people who had AIDS and actually a kind of a face of the AIDS crisis was Ryan White, the young boy, I think he was 17 or 18 at this point, who uh, was a hemophiliac. He got AIDS from a blood transfusion. He was really persecuted by his community and his classmates and became kind of a cause celebre and helped humanize AIDS victims. Uh, coincidentally, Grace Zabriskie, who plays Laura Palmer's mother in this pilot, uh, she had appeared in the TV movie about Ryan White a year earlier and played his grandmother. So on this night that she's grieving for a lost child, uh, Ryan White actually had just passed away that day. Another eerie coincidence in a way. So like I said, this is a short episode. That's really it for what I have for the context uh, this particular week. Tomorrow we're going to talk about Twin Peaks ephemera or trivia, call it what you will, these little nooks and crannies, the characters, the coffee pine donuts, the locations, looking at statistics, uh, screen time for different people. And this is just kind of fun, like an inside baseball. I call it uh, Twin Peaks in the Weeds, basically. So tomorrow's episode will be the pilot in the weeds. I hope you enjoy it. And make sure you check out the Illustrated Companion if you haven't yet, uh, particularly for that episode. It's uh, kind of nice to have a visual guide to what I'm talking about there as we get into uh, those details. So, see you tomorrow as the pilot coverage continues. It's a shame. He was a great boy, and uh, we're going to do anything we can for the parents. Wonderful parents, wonderful mother. Singer Michael Jackson got billionaire Donald Trump to fly him to Indiana on a private jet to comfort the family. And was from politics and entertainment joined high school friends and townspeople to pay final respects to 18-year-old Ryan White. First Lady Barbara Bush was among more than 1,500 mourners for White, who died Sunday of complications from AIDS. Michael Jackson sat with White's family as the minister said he had healed a wounded spirit in the world. The music included selections from Elton John, who had kept a bedside vigil during White's last week of life.